0: Hey guys, this is Justice, and welcome back to another episode of Pod Wars. It's a special occasion, because I am sitting across from the lovely Gary Shields. Hello there. Guys, it's really late, but Gary and I just got back from seeing Eternals. Gary, what'd you think about the movie theater?
1: So, we were just talking a bunch about how we're so happy to actually be in the movie theater, and how the one near me kind of sucks, because the seats, like... It's first world problems here that we're complaining so much about the seats in a movie theater. Because, like, the ones near here are the conventional movie theater seats. And we went to one that was, like, a nice lounging recliner with a tray table for your food. And it just pampered us to the core.
0: Guys, this is going to sound weird. But chicken and waffles while watching movies is a go-to move.
1: I, I was so shocked that they had chicken and waffles on the menu for a movie. It was really good.
0: I mean, the waffles were like
1: a but little... that's like a messy food to eat while watching a movie.
0: Yeah, I, You know, and I didn't get syrup on me, so there was no stickiness so throughout you're the telling movie. So you
1: me I can't lick syrup off Maybe later. <laughs> but yes, we did see Eternals recently, and we're going to share some of our thoughts on the movie and maybe a little bit of background info for you. But okay, before we dive into Eternals, dude, we got to talk a little bit of Spider-Man with some Twitter tidbits here. Now, we had a poll for some of our listeners on Twitter, and we asked, Will Spider-Man No Way Home feel like a letdown for you if it doesn't include Andrew Garfield and Toby? And an astounding 77.6% of you said yes, it would be a letdown, and 22% said no. So, Justice, you're the one who is uber-optimistic with this film. What are your thoughts with this?
0: All I know is that... Marvel and Sony argued on whether or not to include certain people in the trailer for the next trailer that's dropping next week. And it sounded like they were arguing whether or not to show Toby and Andrew. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they're in there. But if they're not, then I'm going to cry. Like a (laughs) kind of noise. Like, I'm going to cry if they're not in it.
1: But like, okay, TLJ, we both inundated our lives with theories about it. You know, like, all this stuff about Snoke being what's-his-face, Ray being this, all this kind of theories, and we've both admitted on the show how that kind of, among other things, really kind of destroyed a lot of our movie-going experience. This is going to be like that to the nth degree, dude.
0: I agree that if they're not in there, it will be another TLJ, but I We'll talk after the next trailer comes out. Because if they're not in there, then I'm going to lower my expectations. But I have a feeling that Sony... Well, not I have a feeling. I know that Sony always ruins movies by showing the coolest scene in their trailer. So we're going to inevitably see the three of them together if they are in it. Because that's the Sony thing to do.
1: That is the Sony thing to do, but it isn't the Marvel thing to do. So, like,
0: But Marvel doesn't own the rights. Kind of. Maybe Kind
1: of. It's weird, guys. It's weird. Like, if they're not in it, the problem is... Okay, this is how it's different than TLJ. I think No Way Home is going to be a fantastic movie. And the problem is, though, the expectations for it are absolutely freaking wild. So, like, it's hard for them to meet that, you know?
0: I agree. But Kevin Feige literally said it is the endgame of Spider-Man movies. So... That's setting the bar extremely high, and he did that himself. So if the movie's bad, you got to blame him then.
1: Yeah, and I I don't think it'll be bad. I think it'll be fantastic. But I just know if I don't see Toby and Andrew, a part of me is going to have to reconcile that deep down in my heart, and I don't know if I'm ready for it yet.
0: If I don't see... The 60s Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing at each other. The movie's <laughs> an absolute failure. It's absolute
1: failure. <laughs> Should I petition for Nick Cage uh, Ghost Rider to be a part of it, too?
0: Oh, or just uh, Nick Cage's Into the Spider-Verse oh, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah,
1: Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, yeah, Dude, yeah. I love me some Spider-Noir.
0: Speaking of Nick Cage, though...
1: Oh, yeah. I'm really
0: upset that <laughs> we did not bring this up last week when we were doing our podcast. Um... There has been an unconfirmed announcement from a reliable source. I don't know, remember where it's from. That The there, reliable source
1: is Justice's TikTok.
0: Exactly. <laughs> that there is going to be a National Treasure 3 and 4, that Nick Cage is coming back for both of them. And there's going to be a TV show on Disney Plus that is in the same universe that Nick Cage is also going to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I heard in uh, National Treasure 3, he um, has to steal the Magna Carta. And then um, National Treasure 4, he teabags the Gutenberg Bible. Um, That is the plot as of right now. Shut up, Gary. (laughs) He's going to run out of historical documents to take at a certain point.
0: Guys, the chicken and waffles were good. (laughs)
1: This but for is, real, though. This is
0: going to be a no-filters episode because it is currently 11.10 <laughs> central time.
1: <laughs> and we're used to being in bed at like 9 o'clock because we're old.
0: Yeah, I got up at 4 this morning, so...
1: Oh, damn. Are you still doing your like three hours a night of sleep routine?
0: No, I got better at going to bed around
1: mm, 10.30. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is a little bit better. But should we, should we dive into Eternals now? Yeah, I think... Um well first we should probably talk about the like back and forth with kind of the scoring on rotten tomatoes.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the I guess the drama that we kind of talked about last week, but then Obviously, there's gonna be spoilers, guys. Like we're gonna we're gonna spoil the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gonna be a little bit all over the place because our brains are a little fried and we just saw it, so we're gonna jump back and forth from S- scenes that you know really spoke to us,
1: and we're still trying to process the film in general. I know I am.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then also we're gonna you know give you guys some comic book knowledge. Uh, we'll, we'll attempt to. Gary is gonna be the expert on that because he's read the you know oh, runs. Oh good
1: lord. <laughs>
0: but okay i'm just gonna talk about like the movie in general if you can compare them to the other 24 movies mm-hmm. right and we'll include disney plus shows for like let's go with just like recent movies with black panther or black widow and shang chi yeah it's better than black widow it's not as good as shang chi
1: i haven't seen black widow but i would agree it's not as good as shang chi
0: like, Shang-Chi is, like Top tier. I think
1: Shang-Chi was very good. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh yeah. And but but what I really enjoyed about this movie is that it breaks that Marvel mold in a very different way. There's I don't even know how to like they they one, you know, they're forming a team in one movie, which they haven't really done before. Mm -hmm. Two, they're um doing a lot of character introductions who haven't gotten movies, and then the third thing that I really liked is there's a jump in timelines going back and forth from present day to the past. And I really liked how they, you know, it wasn't just like a continuous story. Like they kept on kind of jumping around and it made it more interesting.
1: Yeah, they definitely, they took a lot of risks that I really respect. Um, they broke the Marvel mold in that it was in a lot of ways more serious in nature mm. i mean maybe not like full endgame infinity war serious but it wasn't like the playful kind of feeling of a marvel movie for a majority of it
0: yeah it's not an ant-man or a wasp no
1: it's not ant-man kind of movie it's i mean it has some humor but the humor didn't feel like marvel humor to me right it, it felt like just good timed humor
0: yeah it, it. i i guess they're you know some of the characters are comedians and so that they, they it just felt like a like natural, like sometimes I feel like some like we've talked about it was this in the far past. more organic than the yes, conventional Marvel humor for sure exactly, um, and I one of the things that really stuck out to me stood out to me in this whole movie is just the Celestials in general mm-hmm. like seeing it in the big screen was awesome because those characters for those of you who don't know are the ones who you know kind of create universes they're god-like beings more than the more than eternals they're like god God god-like beings i don't even know Mm -hmm.
1: how how else you would say that yeah so they did a good job of showing the scale of the celestials um let's let's take a step here aside and give some context on who the hell the celestials are so they essentially create in the comics at least created the eternals the deviants and humanity in the movie they're seen as these entities that take in energy to create star systems that allow for universes to grow and life to grow. Um, so kind of like origin sources of each solar system and galaxy. Um, and in the comics, they're seen as kind of beyond feasible to fight against sort of scale. It's where, And when a celestial shows up, you're like, okay... Stuff's gonna go down. There's no way I can necessarily stop it, other than King and Black, where we saw the Celestials get effed. But <laughs> that's a separate deal. Um, and they did a great job of showing the magnitude of the Celestial showing up, which I thought was tough because they're kind of like—I mean, to give another comic comparison, they're kind of like Galactus, where their look is very, very comic booky to a way where I would initially think, "Oh, this is gonna be tough to adapt to film," but they nailed it.
0: Oh for sure they're, like so when i think about you know movies that you want to see in theaters the first thing that comes to mind is Spider-Man 1 like seeing him swing from in different you know buildings in New York you want to see that on the big screen this you want to see on the big screen because just the grandiose of the Celestials whether they're you know on earth or like in outer space and like the scale from them to the humans it like humans look just so tiny yeah and it it was beautiful like even the i just really liked the cinematography um i really liked the soundtrack too mm-hmm. of the movie there was during the final battle i thought it was interesting when because there's two characters in the movie who you know Jon snow and the other snow brother um i forget the oldest his name but the both the starks are in it and they're fighting in the final battle and it felt very game of thrones music and i was like that's really interesting like when i icarius um or oh, yeah, icarus, icarus, icarus is sorry. fighting yeah.
1: and it's like you got game of thrones vibes there. oh yeah well john but, snow would uh, john snow would keep um kit harrington wasn't a part of that final battle he's kind of teased in there as a love interest as well as for his upcoming character black knight right um
0: but the Icarus battle, you're just kind of sitting there, um, and like it was very like dun, dun 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 dun. And I was like, "What is going on?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's. I, I want to take a step back and talk about the challenge they faced with the ensemble cast, because I think that is both something that they, well, it's an immense challenge having that many characters and have people actually care about them. Plus, on top of that, again, this is a spoiler-filled episode, having that many characters and character deaths in the same film and having the audience try to provoke an emotional reaction from the audience. That's a big endeavor to do. Um, Just thinking, like, Salma Hayek's character, Ajak, is killed fairly early in the movie, and they had to get enough character development that you cared about the death.
0: But, okay, so when they first showed her body... I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, who cares? Yeah. But when, like, as they kept on doing flashbacks, like I talked about earlier, like, they, you know, they keep on going back. They keep on, you know, showing her, showing how she's this leader, how she cares for them each in individually and in different ways. Like, when, are we going to spoil it right away what happens? Or are we just going to, like, let it go? Or are we going to, like, we, hold it we back? We could spoil it, but we're yeah, okay. going to probably circle back to it. Okay, when, when um Icarus, you know, decides to betray her.
1: I felt sad
0: like I was like and then she's like picking up the shotgun and using it against the deviants like I I, mm-hmm. I I legitimately was like I feel bad for you what's going on is not okay
1: yeah for that scene I did but there I think Marvel did the best they possibly could of creating character development for that many characters over the runtime it, but it's still I didn't feel I, I felt like it wasn't quite enough there was a lot of moments where I felt like the interactions were a bit forced.
0: I don't know if it was the interactions were a bit forced because since like we're talking about challenges, I just think the editing was weird. Like hmm. the the movie is extremely long, which yes. is a, is a good thing and a bad thing because the pacing is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I just but I want to get on record like I do really like the movie. I, I actually like it. I like it more than Gary. Like we kind of talked yeah. about this. Or about Neither Friday.
1: of us think it's a bad movie by any means. Right.
0: Um, I'm excited for them to continue to be in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Me too. I just think that there are certain scenes where they're extended where they they could have been like edited a little bit to make it you know a little more crisp and that's where I think you're thinking it's like it's it seems forced but I think it's more on like the it just like need to be cut on certain
1: parts there definitely are parts like that but in addition there are times where you're like there's a relationship established that that is established but not introduced to us Um, it's kind of like seeing friends hanging out but being like I have no idea how like this interaction goes. You feel left out from the interaction of the group a little bit. Um if does that make sense?
0: Yeah I guess you get that from Icarus and um
1: you get that from uh Druig too. I felt like some of his stuff I was like, okay, I can't get a read on him because he's not super developed.
0: Well he's also in the movie The Least Amount.
1: Yeah. But like at the end of the movie, they tried to make him like a funnish bad boy type, and I'm like, where the hell did this come from? He was like a cock for like half the movie, and then they're like, <laughs> oh, I'm a leather jacket bad boy, and I'm like, oh, all right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a big deal, but it's little things like that where you're like, they didn't quite stick the landing with the ensemble, but they did the best they could.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. Um, are we? Are we? I thought we were. We we're going to talk about the the challenges. We're talking about the challenges of the movie, right? We're
1: talking about the challenges that Marvel faced with the movie. So. Okay, so yeah,
0: even before just going and seeing it, we have this Rotten Tomato score. Yes, which is apparently the lowest that it's ever been, and um, any more movie, you know, even Thor: Dark World has a better you know Rotten Tomato score. But the fan score is relatively high.
1: It's and it's been growing over the last week, right? As people give it more of a chance.
0: So, I think we talked about this before, but we're just going to get into it. A lot of people heard that there was a a gay scene and got upset about it um, and started, you know, writing bad reviews for movies, even when they hadn't even seen it yet, which I think is kind of stupid. I feel like somehow you you should be able to, like, if you're going to write a review, you should have proof. I don't know how they would do it, that you've seen the movie before you just, like...
1: Well, and there's been any Star Wars fan who's a fan of the prequels knows that Rotten Tomatoes can be a little bit sketch. I mean remember when they reviewed bombed like episode 3? Like sometimes you you have to take with a grain of salt whenever you see Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Right. And so like that already, you know, Eternals has that issue. You know, and they also have because of that scene uh which I'm going to say is normal, like it doesn't feel forced at all. Yeah.
1: I mean we'll preface with we're We're two dudes on a podcast, so take all of our opinions with a grain of salt. Exactly. Um, But we, first off, there is a lot of gay characters within comics. It's nothing new. I mean, you can't throw a stone without hitting a gay comic character, okay? They're all over comics. Plus, a lot of comic fans are either, well, there's a large percentage of LGBT comic fans. Right. As well as a large percentage of comic fans who just support LGBT individuals, agendas, groups, whatnot. Um, but I, I do also understand not only myself, but a lot of people, even LGBT communities understand that corporate entities don't give two craps about them and want to appear, you know, virtuous and woke by occasionally throwing in a gay character and saying, Hey, we support gay people. You should buy our stuff. Right. So, but it didn't come off like that force woke kind of thing. It just came off like they were just a couple, a couple.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, like in Rise of Skywalker, like Gary and I were talking about this before. In Rise of Skywalker, at the very end, like there's two females that kiss, and it just feels very—it it felt, felt like
1: Disney was trying to say, "Hey, we're woke and pro LGBT. You should like us." Right.
0: Um, but in this movie, like they're like they're a family, and like they have a like a you know like they just feel like normal people, in in a Marvel universe, in the world, and it, it didn't it didn't come across like anything that. Um, I think, like, once people see the movie, they're going to be like, oh, I wrote this really bad review for no reason.
1: Well, I, I I guess the way I would phrase my impression of it was you watched that scene and you didn't feel like Disney was trying to appear virtuous. You felt like they were just writing a character. Um Right. So, I mean, just that alone makes it a heck of a lot better. And then also take it to the fact that there's so many LGBT comic book characters, it's nothing new.
0: Right, and so... Um. Someone sent me an article a couple weeks or a couple days ago about you know the whole them being upset that this was in the movie, and my my response was just like everyone deserves a superhero they can look up to, and I think he's a cool superhero in this movie. Like I think it's cool that he. I still don't
1: understand fully his powers, but I'm down for him.
0: His powers is that he can use his mind to create technology. Interesting. And so there are certain things that he, you know, he can. It's kind of like um, you know how when Tony is creating Iron Man, he can that there's a piece that's not working, he can like mm, break like it that apart. VR thing, but yeah. he does it in real life. Yeah, he does it in real life. Like the, whatever he creates with his VR, like it just like appears, and he can mm. see use it, which is super cool. Yeah, and, really cool power. And I, like the one part that like made me laugh is he's got it's Mesopotamia, you know, time period five thousand BC or whatever, and he's creating something, and he's got a steam engine, and they're like, dude. They're not gonna get this. It's gonna scare them, and so they're like, "Well, what else do you got?" And he's like, "I give you the plow." And he like, it's just like this, like, <laughs> I most, love that part. most basic like technology. <laughs> and I'm my head, I'm thinking, yeah, someone had to invent that,
1: and somebody, and it was a big freaking deal. Um, yeah, I liked that. Um, but before we get into some of the stuff we like, I do want to talk more about the challenges of it. So another challenge of it, we mentioned how they break the Marvel mold of. The Eternals aren't necessarily – one, they're not normal heroes because they aren't always there to necessarily – well, in comics, they're there to save humanity. But in this movie, they're not necessarily there to save humanity.
0: Right. They have been tasked with fighting deviants. And so that's why if you're a fan out there and you're like, why have they not gone and fought Thanos? Why have they not stopped any wars? Why, Why all this stuff – they explain. I think they do a very good they job with explaining, job explaining that why one. they didn't show up. And there's even Kit Harrington's character, Black Knight. Well, I mean, they don't essentially say it, but you know, there's a cool teaser at the yeah. end. He even says to one of the characters, "You know, why didn't you guys do anything against Thanos?" And I think it's really cool that they, you know, were able to. It's almost like breaking the fourth wall in a way.
1: Yeah, in that they knew the fans would immediately say this is a plot hole, so they acknowledged it off the bat. But I'm even thinking like it breaks away from the Marvel mold and oh, I don't know. It kinda has a civil war vibe because it's a inner struggle versus a struggle of a good versus a baddie. You know?
0: I think there's both. I think I think it I think it challenges like you have the struggle with Druid where he's got you know, this is wrong. There's genocide, that kind of like the um, mm-hmm. the philosophical stuff going on with him. Yeah. And then you have Icarus who's dealing with, you got the normal good versus evil. And then you have um, also like, oh, should we save humanity or not?
1: But Yeah. So you have, you have multiple struggles within the group. It's not a, we have this bad guy. We want to kill the bad guy.
0: Right. Or like, this is family. Like, how do you, how do you deal with family when someone betrays your family?
1: Yeah. So it in a way, it's it's interesting and nuanced, but in another way, it's it's completely out of left field.
0: Right, but I I liked how they didn't, you know, in a normal movie, you know, they get they they're a basic human being and then they get their superpowers and then they train for a little bit and then they can kind of win against the like, mm-hmm. battles and then they get their ass kicked and then they you know get back up and then they win and that's a normal intro Marvel movie. Yeah, I, or even just movie in general and. That's not what Eternals is.
1: Well, like speaking on that front, you mentioned the a lot of the flashbacks. I feel like they disperse the origin throughout the movie through the flashbacks, you know, and that shows their thought process and the character development through time. As they always flash back to like Mesopotamia, Babylon, things like that, and I think the flashbacks are probably one of the cooler parts of the movie.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, I've always been really interested in like Egypt, Babylon, <laughs> like history, that one, and the. The city that they built for Babylon was super cool. That was so. Dope. Or, or just the when they're you know when I think they're in Egypt at that time, and the that's when Druid kind of le- leaves because yeah. he's upset with you know everything that's going on, and just that whole.
1: Oh no, they were in uh Tenochtitlan or like Incas. They were like in that conquistador kind of thing. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, the, just like the them being in the pyramids and you know everything that's going on, but you know like the there's like fires all around and there's war going on but they're like they're still having like this other conflict as a family i I don't know that i think that scene was just super cool
1: (laughs) yeah that that was really cool um yeah so there's a lot of intricacies and nuances in there that i think are in are they're cool they just didn't quite stick the landing for me because of the challenges I mentioned earlier of they have so much they need to establish in this movie. And even with the long run time, it's like they're biting off more than they can chew. But conversely, they can't make this into, like we were even discussing after the movie, could they make this into a TV series and have it extended? I don't think they could either because of the immensity of the Eternals and Celestials. You need that in a movie form. So they're like stuck between a rock and a hard place and they did the best they could with those constraints.
0: Yeah, I feel like you don't like it as much as I do.
1: I don't. it Because it, it didn't stick the landing for me as far as character development. It felt a little bit forced. And I also, like, just it, a lot of the way the plot developed didn't work for me also even after like reading the comics too
0: I was gonna say that you've read the you've read Jack Kirby you've read the Neil Gaiman comics I have not yeah I, the most I've read is the new Kieran Gillian stuff which is you know I'm since I've never touched another Eternals comic it's kind of confusing but going in if you've never seen an Eternals I don't think you're gonna be like oh my gosh what the heck is going on mm-hmm. like it's not I don't think it's very hard to follow. And I also think they do a really good job of explaining... Like, there's a lot of times where it's just, like, uh, deposition of what is a celestial, what is eternal, what is a deviant, why are we doing
1: these things. There is a lot of that, um, but I can see somebody who's less familiar with Marvel being a little confused. I can definitely see that. If you're somewhat familiar with Marvel, you're probably fine. Um... I was I, I don't know I don't fully on know why it didn't quite land for me. Um, part of it I think was my expectations, and I'm not at all a um, like really knowledgeable person with the Eternals, but my expectations for each character ended up being completely different in the movie than the comic. Um, like Cersei is the main like heroine of the story, most admi- admirable one in the comic. She's just super flirty and kind of flighty, and it's just like, I have powers, I'm hot, I'm going to enjoy it. Um,
0: Sounds like 60s and 90s comics. Exactly.
1: Classic 60s and 90s comics. Heck, even in the Neil Gaiman one, um, which is more like, I believe, late 90s, early 2000s. And so, and then in addition to that, her love interest was Icarus, when in the comics, it's um, Macari, who's also a dude, and... So, like, the characters were very different. Um, and so I was already, like, a little bit unacquainted with the storyline to begin with. Tried to get acquainted and then got confused again. And maybe that kind of threw me off.
0: Yeah, I, I think knowing that there's a bunch of characters whose genders are switched and their powers are different is definitely going to throw off, you know, you know someone who's read the comics before.
1: Yeah, it, it threw me off because the the characters are very different in their portrayal and their personalities. The relationships between the characters are very different and seriously having a love interest with Icarus versus Macari. Um, it, so that kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, But I don't think that they did a bad job of acting. No, like, the I think, acting was great.
0: I think the acting, they, like they killed it. There was a lot of representation on all different fronts. Like I love that what, Makari, that's the mm-hmm. um, the fast one. Yeah, she's kind of like the Flash. Like she's deaf, and it's really cool in the movie. Like they speak, they do a lot of like ASL when they're talking, and and I really liked that part aspect of it. Um, or you got um, yeah, Cersei's is I think really an interesting character. She's she I guess she is the main heroine. heroine. Yeah, she's
1: like the main hero of it.
0: Angelina Jolie's character is not what as I was expecting. She because she's dealing with this issue where she's got something going on with her mind and so sometimes she'll turn i guess evil and start mm-hmm. attacking her internal you know family they are the other internals and but like the whole time she's like this quiet you know not flashy character until kind of the very end she's like very not what an angelina Jolie lee character normally is
1: yeah but at the same time, she's badass and fighting Icarus, too. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm not saying
0: it's bad. I'm just saying it. going into it, I did not expect that from her.
1: Yeah. Um. Th- just thinking as we're talking here, I think one character that really shows my kind of confusion and, okay, what are these characters supposed to be is uh with uh, Druid. So, okay, they meet him. His big plot point is he's like, screw all of you guys. We're supposed to help humanity and we're not. And so he meets them again, is totally embittered. And then they go back to the Eternal's base. He sees Makari. He's flirty and happy and nice.
0: I think he realized through the battle at his base that he was wrong. And I think he's also really intrigued with trying to use his power to control a Celestial.
1: Which logically makes sense. But it's like... There's moments like you mentioned where they do exposition that is far too long, and then moments of complete shift in character that is too quick. So you're mixed with these abrupt shifts, and then character development that's like, okay, we get it. You can move on.
0: Also, since we're talking about like how Marvel's breaking the mold, maybe that's what like the whole idea of this podcast is going to be. Uh, besides the representation, whether it be you know gay or um, deaf with ASL. There's a sex scene in it. Yeah. And that was really weird. That didn't feel very necessary whatsoever. Um, it's not like gratuitous at all because it's still a PG-13 movie. But you're just sitting there and I'm like this is Marvel. This is weird. And the other thing that Marvel did a good job, even though it's just a normal movie, there's... One jump scare that got me yeah, real good. That got, one got me. It got me super good. And then also the movie is like super brutal. Within the first couple minutes, this d- like normal human gets his head eaten off by a deviant.
1: Yeah. The, the, the jump scare was cool. The brutality of it, I, I dug. The sex scene, um, yeah, it's by no means gratuitous, but it's also unnecessary. Um, And I tend to be of the mindset of usually sex scenes are put in there either because, well, usually they're put in there because of lazy writing and they know that, okay, we'll get people horny and they'll like it. Um, I kind of go off the classic Friday the 13th model. It's a crappy low-budget horror movie. Let's throw in some boobs.
0: But they did not do that in this movie. They didn't do that in this movie. I get the purpose of it because it's, it's Cersei's and Icarus. And and their romance is very central, central to cent, the plot. Yeah, central to the whole movie. But there are certain scenes where they're just, like, holding hands. They re-flash all the time in the movie. And that's the, even more where they could establishing. Have, yeah, they could have done that than this random, like, they're, they're like, laying on sand. And Gary just leans over to me in the movie. and He goes, it gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like,
1: dude, shut up. <laughs> okay, dude, did you think the same thing? So when Icarus is having his, like... Moral plight, internal struggle. The place he goes back to is the place he got laid. And he's sitting there being like, Cersei, you remember this place? This is where we had sex. I'm thinking about my struggle. And I come to the place we had sex in order to, you know, work it out my brain.
0: You sound like Archer. And no, he did not say it in the movie, but he did go to the exact he spot. <laughs> is
1: it, okay, is it just me or is that weird? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's weird. It's Aaron. weird. It's weird, man. <laughs> like come on if you're going to have a contemplative moment you're not gonna be like where's the best place to think the place i got laid for the very first time
0: i get what you're saying anyway what are so we we were talking about challenges and that we talked about some of the things that we liked do we just want to talk about you know more of the character stuff or more of the things that stood out to us
1: let's well let's talk about more of Let's talk about a little bit more of the characters and some uh, comic backstory stuff. I want to throw in a little bit of nuggets for for the listeners out there. Let's
0: let's talk about Sprite because I felt like they did a really good job with that character.
1: So, yeah. So, Sprite is cool because Sprite is essentially, as internal, always a child Um, and always like prepubescent, pubescent kind of child But at the same time, has feelings for Icarus. I don't know if Sprite has feelings for Icarus at all in the comics, but I do know the Neil Gaiman comics kind of tease the idea of Sprite being bitter about the fact that she's really young and is always stuck being
0: right. And her powers are super cool. She can make herself invisible. She can create, you know, imagine or you know, figments of different things. Like there's a time where. You know they're trying to fight a deviant, so she creates like a hundred versions of herself, but they're all just you know, just photograph not photographs, but like I don't even know what you would call them Um, shadow clones. Yeah, basically shadow clones. (laughs) But they like once you put like if you go through them, they go right away. So it's it's like a it's like a visual. It's not even something you know like an actual solid you know matter. Uh, And then she's also able to tell these really cool stories with like these. She like creates like a a light show basically. It's really I like her. I like her. It's like a
1: reality warping power. Um, kind of like the Loki variants a little bit, um, and then like the the powers are separated between more reality and matter warping, and then just straight up strength. And I think Sprite has a cool like reality warping power.
0: Right, Icarus can fly. And... Icarus is Superman. Yes, it's like actually... they literally S- even make a
1: meta S- yeah, joke about it, S- which blows that, my mind. Right,
0: yeah, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Literally, you know, acknowledged Superman and called Icarus Clark
1: Kent at one point. Yeah, it, it blew my mind. I'm like, holy meta. That is amazing.
0: Which I'm wondering if they had to contact DC and ask that that was okay. I, I really wonder the rights on that, dude. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like, it's, it, I think it's, I think it's cool that they're acknowledging him.
1: Well, it's kind of like how they acknowledged all what all the fans were thinking about Thanos. They're like, all the fans are going to realize this guy's just Superman. And they're like, "Hey, you're basically just Superman." Right. Um. Let's see. What is
0: Icarus's girlfriend's name again? I can't. remember. Uh, so Cersei. Cersei. Yeah.
1: Uh. I, her power is interesting. She can transform non-sentient matter into whatever she wants.
0: It's like a transmutation from like Full Metal Alchemist.
1: Basically, yeah. Which is a super cool power. I think it could have been utilized a little bit more. Um. But it was still super cool. The part that really stood out
0: to me is she gets stabbed. I'm not by a uh, sprite at the end. It's very convoluted. Why? Anyway, she gets stabbed. And then there's a part where she's kind of just like she turns the blade into water and it just kind of goes away. I'm like, that's really cool. Like she didn't have to pull the blade out and cause more. That bleeding. was really cool. I'm like, You're, that's a really smart girl.
1: Yeah. Um. And I like the idea of like she turns part of a tree into water and then like pushes down the rest of the tree. Like that was super dope.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's like very intelligent with how she uses her powers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, since we've talked about the, she's the main heroine in the movie, so she uses her powers at the end to stop it. We'll get to it at the very end. I, I don't like we haven't really spoiled the whole plot to the movie. Only yet. little bits. So, like, so if you're if you're someone who's like doesn't want the whole thing spoiled, you can keep on listening. But there's a part where we're, like we're gonna have, like this is what
1: the movie is about. Yeah. Um. Then you also have okay. Let's go into Druid in his power. It's kind of creepy. Um, very
0: creepy, not kind of.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty darn creepy. Like, he can basically take over your mind, possess you, and control you. Like, to the point where they ask him, why didn't you just start controlling all of humanity? Like, that's a big freaking deal. It is, and and he...
0: he that's why he leaves very early in the show, or I guess the movie, because he's so tired of letting humans commit genocide, war, lying, stealing, killing, all these things. And he's like, I could end that all right now. I can make a peaceful planet. And the whole reason that they can't, you know, interfere is because they need humans to grow and become intelligent on
1: their own. Yeah. And we still haven't gotten to the reasoning why for that. Exactly. But he, he develops more as he kind of, even later, you see him sort of controlling this little town um to make it a little semi utopian type place but he even realizes he's like they're not human anymore if i just control them
0: right yeah he he um he made a comment at the end of the movie talking about how it makes humans best is their you know their their flaws and them learning from their flaws and growing
1: now there's a few more that we haven't covered really um so ajak some hikes character um, she's the leader of the Eternals, not because she's the strongest, but because she has the most contact with the Celestials. She's the one that actually talks with them. And hers is basically just healing power.
0: It's like Rey from Star Wars.
1: Yeah. Um. So her power is only okay, but her she has an interesting relationship because she's their leader purely because she's the number one to talk to Celestials. Yep. Um. Aphrim A- or Uh Aphirom, let me look up the pronunciation correctly, but... While I'm doing that justice, can you give a little bit of an idea on Gilgen? Uh, On Gilgamesh.
0: Gilgamesh. Sorry, my bad. Um, That is from a comic that I'm currently reading. Gilgamesh is cool. I think his powers are kind of limited. He uses, like, he with so the Eternals have. I don't know. Each one has like this this the gold that you see them float across their bodies, and like when their powers are used, like the gold kind of comes out i know it's i don't know, I really know how to explain unless you see it but his he uses as gauntlets around his forearms and arms and he makes him incredibly strong when he punches
1: he's like the best he's the strongest as far as physical brawler right um so like physically stronger than icarus even though icarus is technically the quote-unquote strongest of the eternals with his flight super strength laser beam eyes all that stuff
0: exactly and and, and so, the
1: Eternal is called... And the Celestial is Arishem.
0: Arishem, that's how you say it. Um, and he... So, I like his character because he kind of feels like... He's like this big, burly dude, but at the same time, he's a pretty sentimental guy and, you know, wants to, you know, just hang out with his friends and...
1: And take care of Athena.
0: Take care of... Yeah, Athena and wants to, you know, bake and cook and make
1: beer... So his own spit.
0: Yeah, I mean that was weird. That was a little weird. But him and Athena have this. or sorry, Athena. She gets mad when people call her Athena. Have this weird, almost love type relationship, but there's not. They're not actually dating.
1: Yeah, I kind of felt bad for Gilgamesh. I'm like, the dude deserves to get a little bit (laughs) some.
0: Like he deserves. Right, but it's very, very sweet because. You know, Athena has got this issue. She's like very about,
1: vulnerable, and he's the only one that can control her when she's in her fits of rage, rage yeah, and, madness.
0: And so he decides over, you know, the millennia that he's going to take care of her, and he's going to watch over her. Because their
1: only other option is to wipe her memory.
0: And she does not want to forget her memory.
1: Which is essentially death at that point. Like, you're losing yourself. Right. Um, Now we're finishing off with the uh, last and really the comic relief of the movie Kingo.
0: No, 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 we got to talk about the um the black character, I forget
1: his name. Oh, well we talk about Fa- uh Fastus. Festus, that's his name. We just yeah. wanted, I didn't mention I want to
0: mention his name before we moved
1: on. Yeah. And how him with that tech ability. <laughs> yes, yes. Um but Kingo, dude. Kingo is So, we critique Marvel humor a lot in this on this podcast, but I think Kingo is like He's just, well, he is great with his timing of jokes. Like he's, he's, his humor was great in the movie.
0: There's a part where when they reintroduce him, which what I mean by that is they all start together and then they all break up. And then the whole movie is them getting back together. So when they, you know, go on the adventure to, you know, build the family back up, he's the first one and he's in this Bollywood set and he's mm-hmm. just like dancing. and And like the whole time he's like, like winking and like doing the, like just dancing, messing around. And it's hilarious. And th- even when they're on the airplane and Sprite's filming his documentary right, about yeah. the Eternals, <laughs> Right. And, then, or Sprite is like, how have you been an actor for a hundred years and no one's called you out on it? And he's got all these posters of himself in the background. He's like, well, that's my great-great-grandfather. This is my great-grandfather. This is my father. And then this is me. So that's how I've been an actor for a hundred
1: years. <laughs> and, and nobody knew the difference. Yeah, I, I love his character. I think his humor is fantastic.
0: And his powers is... It's kind of like, I want to say Samus, but with like a like a It's like Yu
1: Yu Spirit Gun for any of my OG anime fans right. out there.
0: It's like, yes, it's a very... Like he uses like his fingers as a and like creates like a little bullet and can shoot them and he can like charge up like Samus and fire off a bigger bullet.
1: It's a kind of cool power. Um, Now, should we get into the main struggle of the movie here?
0: Yes. So the Eternals are told to not you know, interfere with humans because they want the humans to grow in intelligence and their only job is to fight deviants. And after a certain period of time, they'll be called back home to Olympia. However, that is a lie.
1: Yes. So Ajax has been receiving all these messages from Arisham, the main celestial, the big godlike figure. And eventually... She, it's kind of found out that she was kind of leading them astray in that the Celestial's whole purpose for humanity and Earth was to grow and birth a new Celestial that would evan- eventually emerge, destroying the entire planet.
0: Right. And so the reason that they need the way that the Celestial feeds is when more humans are born with higher intelligence, and so that's why they need you know, wars to happen, they need genocide to happen, which, like, sounds very weird and convoluted, but, like, that's just, like, science.
1: But it makes sense. Like, unfortunately, a lot of innovation happens over conflict and some of the worst things of humanity. Exactly.
0: And and so the movie is Ajax figures... Ajax is tired of doing this over thousands and thousands of years, and wants to get the team back together to stop the emergence, which when you're in the trailer, everyone was like, Oh my gosh, is the emergence something based off of the snap? No, the emergence is because so many humans have been populated on the earth that it's the celestials finally able to, you know, emerge from the ground.
1: And so the issue comes in in that the celestials start coming together purely because they notice the um deviants are back. So Icarus meets up with um, Cersei and Sprite, and they're like, we have to get everyone together. Deviants are back. They look for Ajax, and Ajax is dead. Now, the rest of them come together, and as the plot unfolds, they eventually find out that Icarus is the one who killed Ajax, and that Ajax, deep down, wanted them to stop the emergence, even though they all thought she was inherently the villain leading them astray.
0: Right, and so the final battle is them trying to decide you know how are we going to stop this celestial from growing out or emerging out of the ground and the first idea is that druid is going to use his mind controlling powers to you know control it and all they're going to look at this mind binding thing where all the celestials get together and like a hive mind and he's going to have like extra powers
1: all the yeah all the eternals the unit yeah sorry sorry
0: you eternals and then that does not work because Icarus is and Sprite
1: are not about that. So I want to talk about their struggle with it because it's it's going off of sort of what they did with Thanos on these somewhat relatable villains. Because Thanos is Snap, the idea of. There not being enough resources, therefore, we need to find a way to manage the resources. As awful as it sounds, like that was a way that was a rational versus just a I wanna kill and kill kill type of villain. This type of villain is the celestials, when they're created, they create more life.
0: Right. So the the idea is like one planet's destroyed, but a billion more are born.
1: So these eternals are faced with a few conflicts. One, do they really want to fight within each other? Two, do they want to essentially stop the growth of a galaxy or universe by saving this one planet? And also, do they want to basically deny their entire reason for existence?
0: Yes, and so Icarus, Sprite, and Kanju?
1: Icarus and Sprite decide... Well, first off, Icarus decides, I'm going to be basically following the celestials to the end right and then because of that sprite who has feelings for icarus decides to follow icarus and kingo who kingo. is very much devoted to icarus decides you know what i agree with him but i'm not going to kill my family right so it's that's where they, they start to break down and the rest of them are like okay we truly want the planet earth to live let's find a way to do it
0: and while this is all going on The Deviants are still running around, and one of the Deviants has the ability to drain the powers from the the Eternals. So the one Deviant drains Ajax's powers so it can heal itself, and then the other one, Gilgamesh, is unfortunately killed. And so this Deviant is able to kind of gain enough powers where he can become sentient and you know, realizes after having all the knowledge from Ajax that they're, they were also created by the Celestials for the sole purpose of, you know, having again to kill the apex predator on new planets and then having like them being, you know, killed because the eternals come. And so he wants to, you know, stop the Celestials as well and also stop the eternals because their species have been killed for unjustified reasons.
1: So, to take another step back, like we're mentioning all these conflicts. I think the conflicts fit into the theme of there's a lot of cool stuff, but they're biting off more than they can chew. So they have a ton of different conflicts within this movie to the point where like, it's hard to fit it all into that runtime. There's a conflict, the inner conflict between the Eternals There's a conflict of Eternals versus Celestials. There's the conflict of Eternals versus Deviants, this Deviant that's growing, building off the powers of the Eternals. There's a lot going on and, and it just, it's really tough to do that alongside building an ensemble, developing the entire ensemble, making them meaningful to everyone else, while also explaining this incredibly intricate part of the Marvel Universe. So it's a lot to take care of.
0: You get the cool scene, it's near a volcano, that's where like the end battle is, The it's by this volcano, but they're... I I really 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 liked it. I did not feel like it was like too long of a battle because I maybe it's because you have multiple things going on. You have Festus fighting Icarus, you have Angelina Jolie's, you know, Athena fighting the deviant and then I cannot remember her name, the main hero heroine's uh Cersei. Cersei is fight, dealing with the emerging the
1: emerging celestial, celestial. which their de- depiction of it was incredible. It's it like was his hand enveloping them.
0: Yeah, it was it was super cool. Like, imagine this ultimate being just somehow emerging from the earth, and like the whole like this hand just coming out of the water. It's massive. It was super
1: cool. It was really cool. Um, fun fact of so Angelina Jolie finding that Deviant. That Deviant is based off of the Deviant Crow from the comics, who's like the leader leader of the Deviants with all these extra powers, and apparently the deviant crow had a relationship with thena in the comics i remember that and it was teased a lot in the neil gaiman one which is kind of weird that that crazy alien figure was like getting that angelina jolie right there's a
0: part where he got her all bind up and with his her arms behind his her back and then he's you know caressing her cheek so yeah maybe it was like a little ode
1: it was like a slight ode to it of those two having the conflict um but yeah they apparently had a thing in the comics interesting um,
0: I like how Festus is able to use his powers to – he kind of uses his – he's smart and uses his powers or, like, thinks – he's kind of – I, I want to almost say, like, Batman, where, you know, it, he to uses it on one character, but he comes up with technology that opposes their superpowers. So, Which is a really cool power. Right. Like, he uses this thing that stops Icarus from being able to shoot his laser beams. Mm-hmm. And he's got him, like, held down, like, in this prison-type force field thing. Love that idea. I thought it was so cool. And he's like, I'm he, he the line where he's like, I'm here to clip your wings. I'm like, damn, you get it.
1: Yeah, that that was cool. It was cool how he took down Icarus. Um and then eventually though, Icarus does free himself and he tries to stop Cersei. But I think okay, I do mention like the character development was a little stilted. They did do enough to make his conflict with Cersei tragic. And I would credit that more so to the acting than to anything else. Yeah. I think that like, like Richard Madden and, and Gemma Chan did a fantastic job of making that relationship believable and tragic at the end, to the point we actually did feel for them.
0: Right. There's a scene where she's using her powers to freeze the f- celestial, and he is standing right
1: in front of her, and she's like, "Are you going to kill me?" Basically, without and, saying
0: it. Right. And and like he like keeps wanting to start his, thing, you know, start his lasers and like keep them like fading before they go and then he starts crying and and it is it is a really an emotional scene
1: it's an emotional scene that I think that part they did well they did that part well and I would credit that to the acting above all else if the actors were more subpar I don't think it would have worked um the acting makes up for in my opinion some of the poor writing
0: yeah I didn't think it was the, the writing was awful but I get what you're saying
1: yeah um but then I don't know if i like it or not but He's Icarus, and he flies too close to the sun to kill himself.
0: But since it's Eternals, they're basically sentient. You know,
1: they kind of I, respawn. Yeah, basically. they respawn a lot. So even like though they, he's gone, even though they he's die, gone. like guys, they're all coming back. They all respawn in different bodies.
0: Yeah, so it's not it's not that big of a deal. Do you want to go back to the when? Angelina Jolie's character, Athena, is fighting the main deviant. Mm. And she cuts him into, like, a thousand pieces. So savage. It was
1: awesome. Like, she gets into her crazy mad mode and then just, like, destroys him. So good.
0: Yeah, definitely really cool. Um, again, Marvel doing a Marvel things where they kill villains way too fast. And so maybe he, yeah. he won't come back. But it it still is a cool scene.
1: Yeah, still a cool scene. So... Essentially, this is all solved with them forming the Unimind, where they combine the Eternal's powers to kind of freeze the uh, Celestial from rising.
0: Right, which is cool, and I think an ode to the comics. I, The run, in my opinion, is not great. I love Jason Aaron, but I do not think the current Avengers run is all that in a bag of chips. Mm. And But the first arc is amazing. Loki somehow uses his con- mind control to get celestials to come to earth hmm. to attack earth to destroy it and um the you know avengers and x-men everyone are able to stop him but through that process they realize that there is a dead celestial in the like core of the earth that mm-hmm. somehow gets risen up from the ground and that's how they kind of like i guess what retconned it but because there's this dead celestial you know, like stuff is oozing in he's like his decaying body is how there's superheroes and mutants and terra Genesis and all the, that's where there's like this whole powers come from on earth hmm. is from this dead celestial. Interesting. And now that it's risen up, they are using it as a home base for the Avengers tower. In okay. the comics. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So, but like when you, like, he's standing kind of upright in mm-hmm. the comics, whereas in this movie, it's just the head and the hand that are out, but it's still really cool.
1: Yeah. Still a really cool depiction. Now, the day is quote unquote saved, but you had this inherent. This inherent thing of okay, what are the celestials gonna do now? And so like they say their goodbyes, half the group goes off into space to kind of find other eternals, the other half stays, and you see Cersei talking with um Black Knight, kind of doing like their goodbyes for their relationship, and then the sky goes black and you see a gigantic celestial face. And at that point I'm like, Holy crap.
0: When that happened, I was like, damn, the movie's not over, there's gonna be another battle
1: right it it was intense when that guy showed up and he just snatches the eternals with aerosham like that that was cool i and loved
0: that and essentially he just says you have decided to you know break who you are from who you are and your purpose i will judge you based on your memories that you know occur as you live on earth. And
1: essentially he's saying too that he's going to be judging earth based off of their memories to see like are they wor- really as worthy as you say.
0: And then it ends. So we all know that it, it says at the air end very end of the credits that the Eternals are coming back, but that also probably also means that the Celestials are coming back as well.
1: That means probably the next movie is some form of the judgment on the Eternals and something involving Titan and Harry Styles.
0: Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the two post credit scenes before we wrap this up. Yeah. So the first one is definitely Kit Harrington's character, Black Knight. If you guys don't know a lot about him, he's basically King Arthur of the Marvel Comics. He's got this ebony blade technically retconned into somehow being part of the Necrosword with King in Black, all that kind of stuff. And in the cutscene, he opens up this case and goes into, you know, touch it. And when he does, like that's when he's going to get his powers. But there's a voice. I think it's Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know who it is. But he's like, are you sure you want to do that, son?
1: And and then it cuts. My bet is Samuel L. Jackson. Um, the only thing it sounds like is either Samuel L. Jackson or that dude who plays The Watcher. But it's Samuel L. Jackson.
0: Or maybe, I i have no idea, it, it but it, you don't see the character, you just hear the voice. Yeah,
1: you just hear the voice.
0: And so then it cuts, and then you got the other, you know, after all the credits roll, you got this other one. And I'm not going to lie, wasn't very thrilled with the actual, you know, scene itself. To me, it felt very half-assed and, like, thrown together, because there's two characters that are introduced on the main ship that the Eternals use and Pippin or Pip, sorry, Pip is the character, the, the first Pip, character.
1: I think they did a cheesy job. Yes, of the CGI. That, that's what I'm talking about. It, yeah.
0: Out of, you know, the celestials look amazing. The action looks amazing. The deviants look amazing. And then you have this CGI character that pops up at the very end. And it's like, what the hell? It does not look good. It does not look good.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a, cartoonish like funny weird Leprechaun. character yeah it's like it's in the comments he's meant to be kind of a weirdo but it just doesn't look good
0: it it doesn't it, it looks like something from, it looks very low budget it looks like a 2000s marvel
1: movie it really really does and i'm and i'm
0: and i'm like not trying to be super harsh but i'm being super harsh they had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for this movie and that's what they came it up was, with
1: it was abrasive you, yeah you see that and you're just like what, what?
0: Yeah, it, it just didn't make sense. But then you have the big, huge reveal. Thanos's brother is introduced, played by Harry Harry Styles. Eros, Eros. Uh, no,
1: Eros. Yes, Eros. And I, I'm not too familiar with Thanos's brother. Um, all I know is from like the Infinity Gauntlet saga, where Thanos just like destroys him. He's kind of a dick. Okay. Um, and I. And this is going to lead into likely the next Eternals movie um, have some degree of Titan because there's a lot of Eternals and Deviant relationships on Titan where Thanos is from. Right.
0: And he's got... Th- we didn't really talk about it, but it- have you ever seen Harry Potter? There's the snitch. The way that the Eternals are able to communicate with the Celestials is one of them has the power to release like a snitch from their collarbone area. Mm. And it comes out and that's how they like are able to... Port of themselves to the celestials it's very hard to under- understand you just got to watch the movie anyway he's holding one and he's like we can go find your friends who are in trouble and then that's the end of the scene
1: yeah so it's probably gonna involve something with titan in the next eternals movie um i don't know about choosing harry styles for the mcu but like
0: marvel hasn't done a bad job at casting true and I've the most recent comic that I have read that he's in it. He Harry Styles looks exactly like him.
1: Okay, which is always a an indicator whenever the comics start drawing somebody like the character they're gonna choose. Totally an indicator.
0: Probably. I don't know how long they've been trying to you know get this going. So yeah, because the comics fairly old, but he does look like him.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was it was an interesting post credit scene. That's for sure. Um overall take with the movie, at least for me, I, I, I'm mixed on it. I feel like there's a lot of interesting components, but it's it's too it's a concept that was not set up to really knock it out of the park in my opinion. There was too much to take care of in one movie and it's hard for, it wasn't executed. It was executed as well as they could with the natural constraints of the characters and the ensemble cast. So, it it was decent, but not great.
0: It's definitely in the top fifteen, maybe top twelve. Really? Yeah, it's better. Th- it's better than I think you think it is. I think for the like you were talking about, as much as of a challenge it was for them biting off more than they can chew, they bit off a lot and they did accomplish a lot.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll give them that. Um, it, and I would. I don't know. I think I was a little harsh. I know after the movie, I'm like, dude, I think I enjoyed Iron Man 3 and Thor Dark World more. Like, I know intellectually this was a better movie, but I enjoyed those other ones more. No. (laughs) But otherwise, honestly, go see it, guys. Um, It's very interesting. It breaks the Marvel mold. It's it's a long runtime, but you... I I found it entertaining and drawing me. I didn't get bored
0: throughout the movie. No, I didn't get bored either.
1: I didn't get bored. Like, there are parts that I'm like, okay, it's a little more slow, but I was never bored. Um, Definitely worth seeing.
0: It's just beautiful. Like, it really
1: is. It it really is. The cinematography is great. The acting's fantastic. And it expands the universe in ways that it really hasn't before. Yeah.
0: You know, I love when they... The more and more that they introduce the cosmic beings, the Mm -hmm. better and more grandiose Marvel is going to be able to get. Yeah. They started with Thor, and now they're all the way to Celestials. Like, where are they going to go next? Hopefully Galactus, and maybe the one above all,
1: all Yeah, it, it gives me a lot of hope that some of the weirder comic concepts are going to be executed well by the MCU. Because, like, I did not think Celestials would look that cool in film, and they were so cool. And now I'm like, okay, what are they going to do with Galactus?
0: Hot take. This is the last thing I'm going to say before we wrap up. But the struggles with live-action anime are the same thing as that you know superhero movies went through in the early 90s and you know early or late 90s early 2000s and eventually anime will be just as good as we are
1: getting marvel movies now live action anime yes i disagree okay. because i think anime is never going to have a live action that's going to be the same kind of thing for many reasons that would be an entire podcast worth
0: well gary's wrong but that's okay <laughs>
1: but you know what isn't wrong following us on twitter at pod wars podcast we're actually trying on twitter again guys thank you for voting in on our spider-man poll um thank you also for commenting about our book of boba turns out many people don't like the sequel trilogy and are very vocal about it on twitter no surprise there some great points though brought on so thank you so much for for commenting you can follow us at PodWars Podcast on Twitter or email us if you have specific stuff at askpodwarspodcast at gmail.com and everyone have a fantastic week.